It is a joy to be here, and I'm really excited because today we're continuing a series that we began last week on relationships. Relationships. I don't know if we could ever have enough conversations around the topic because it's something that we are going to navigate every day of our lives, right? And I don't know about you, I will just put this out here. I really wish that in school, instead of learning algebra, we would have learned how to navigate relationships. Like, could they have offered that class? Because I have Siri, I have Google, I have a calculator on my smartphone, so there's pretty much, like most math problems in real time I can handle, but I could have used a lot more learning around how to navigate friendships, how to deal with family dynamics, how to deal with work dynamics, how to date well, like even the thought of being a parent, how do you even begin that? What do you do? What choices do you make? Let alone just how to have a normal, sound, logical, rational conversation today with somebody around politics or culture. You know what I'm talking about? Like, we really need some help. And sadly, we didn't get that class in grade school. So for some of us, we, we inherited or we learned maybe some healthy patterns uh, that we learned in our own home and growing up in our childhood. But for most of us, we, we kind of had to figure out trial by error. You know, we had to trust some uh, professionals who have some helpful resources. And ultimately, every single one of us have to rely and, and discover and apply wisdom from God's word in our everyday choices. Uh, I don't think that healthy relationships come easy or come naturally. And I think it is a lot of learning and a lot of leaning into what God has to say for us because he designed us to thrive relationally. But what does that look like in real-time, everyday choices that we make. I know for me, one of the, the challenges for me, one of the hardest lessons to learn and that I continue to learn is how to set healthy boundaries. You know what I mean? Boundaries. Have you heard that term? I think some of us have heard that term before when it comes to relationships. I actually never heard that term until I was in my 20s. I, I never had a conversation with anybody growing up about boundaries. I never heard in my home somebody saying, oh, I'm so sorry when I said that, when I did that, did I violate a boundary of yours? Let's talk about it. That would, I mean, if somebody would have said that in my home growing up, we would have left, looked at you, we would have scratched our heads, we'd have been like, what, did you watch too much Dr. Phil today? Like, what is happening? You know, like, it was just so foreign to us growing up. And it wasn't until in my early 20s when I had had a, a, a few different heartaches and disappointments and just honestly felt a level of confusion in my relationships and some of my key relationships that I started to go, maybe there's something to learn here. And a friend of mine turned me on to two different books by Dr. Henry Cloud. One of them was called Safe People and one of them was called Boundaries. And as I started reading some of the, the, the concepts in these books, it was like a light bulb went on. It was shocking. This was mind-blowing information. And I soon discovered that this concept of having boundaries and setting boundaries and keeping boundaries and honoring boundaries in relationships wasn't just a good idea from Dr. Henry Cloud. It was actually biblical truth that God wanted me to apply in my life. It was timeless truth from God's word that if I applied would help me actually succeed in my relationships. So as I started to read these books and I started to understand some concepts, I was starting to get the basic idea of boundaries. I think boundaries in their simplest sense, right, are, are just like it's a line that is drawn that separates what is mine from what is yours. I want you to think about a house for a second and a backyard. I know for some of us, you're going to have to go to the way distant pa past before you lived in New York City. But those things called backyards that many of us had, they usually had a fence around them, right? And that fence was a really clear boundary line. When you looked at that fence, you knew what was somebody else's property and what was perhaps yours, right? If it was your background, this is how much is mine. If you are looking at somebody else's fence, you would know that belongs to them. So we don't have those kind of fences maybe in New York City, but we do have something called front doors, don't we? And they have keys with locks, right? 
and somebody knocks on the door and based on how comfortable we are and how well we know them and how, how acceptable it is, that's whether or not they have entrance into the apartment. I, for one, am really glad that the front door exists on my apartment. If I were to wake up this morning, I just recently moved into a new apartment and I'm getting settled in. If I were to wake up feeling, wow, I've made this home, I've nested, and I walk by my hallway and I see that my front door is gone. It is completely missing. And all night I've been sleeping with this wide open space. Suddenly my wonderful apartment now feels very unsafe, right? Boundaries are important. They exist for a reason. And I think we understand that when it comes to some of these concrete things. But when it comes to relationships, it gets a little bit more tricky to understand. The idea of setting boundaries, saying this in a relationship is what you are responsible for. And this is what I am responsible for. And this is what I am okay with. And this is what I'm not okay with. It gets a little bit more complicated, doesn't it? You know, when I look at my life, I could say that I was really good at setting boundaries when I was really little. And I think most kids are. Have you ever watched kids hanging out with each other? Like they will let you know what they don't like very quickly, right? They will. They'll do it one way or another. And depending on the personality, it might happen sooner than later, but they will let you know. They will go tell on you. They will cry. They will push you back. They'll say, stop stealing my tour and they'll steal it back. But they will make sure you know a boundary has been crossed. I remember one of my earliest memories of setting a great boundary took place when I was four years old. I was four and my best friends were Rick and Brandon. We all hung out in the same neighborhood growing up. I think I have a photo to show you. It might come up of this. Look at that. Yes. Yes. Now, in case you're ever wondering, yeah, like I, I, I like to call that my awkward years over there. And I think everybody needs some awkward years because I think they ground you as a human. At least that's the narrative that I tell myself to feel good about this. But uh, we would hang out together all the time, Rick, Brandon, and I. We met when we were four because we all lived in the same neighborhood for about 10 years. We were like besties. And I remember very early on and knowing Rick and Brandon, I'm four years old. I get a knock on the door and I open it, my front door, and Brandon is there, the one in the middle. And he is holding flowers that he has plucked from my father's front yard, from his garden. I could still see the weeds and the dirt. And he simply says to me, will you be my hun? Now that's something that he'd heard his dad call his mom. And I didn't hesitate. I didn't filter. I didn't think about it. My first reaction was, no, that's gross. And don't ever steal my dad's flowers again. And I shut the door. Now let me tell you what happened the next day. What happened the next day was not awkward. It wasn't weird. It wasn't us trying to figure out what was going to happen. What was the dynamic? There was no passive aggressive conversation. There was no subtext. There was no five years later. Hey, by the way, remember that one time you called me, hon? What did you really mean? Now I'm open to talking about it. No, we just played. We never talked about it again. He never asked me to be his hun again. And he never picked any of my dad's flowers again. Boundary set. It was simple back then. Now, let's be real. It's a little harder. A little more, like what happens? Like life happens. And we start to kind of internalize some of the lessons of what we saw maybe in our own home. And then, and then we get to our adolescence and we start interacting with people and we just really want to find our place and we want to fit in. So we start taking social cues. And then we have a couple of our own experiences navigating relationships. And before you know it, we formed these dynamics of how we're going to respond to each other and how we're going to react to each other. But they might not be the right lessons, but they're deeply formed within us. I think if we were to take a poll today and say, hey, when it comes to setting boundaries in your life, honestly, how good are you? And you thought about your work dynamics and your career, and you thought about your home life, and you thought about your family, and you thought about your community, even here at church, and you thought about your marriage or your dating relationships, I bet most of us would say, uh, it's a little complicated. 
Perhaps that's the truest statement, by the way, that Facebook has ever made, is adding that one little box that you could check saying it's complicated, because I think that's probably true to where we live when it comes to most relationship dynamics. It's complicated. Like, yeah, I mean, at work, you don't really know my work environment. I try, but it's complicated. You don't really know my boss. It's, it's a little complicated. Like, yeah, I have a good marriage, but there's just some things we don't really talk about, because, you know, it's complicated. And don't get me started on my family. Like, of course, I set boundaries, but my family, you, they're kind of crazy, so it, it's a little complicated, and we land at this place of going, ah, I'm not quite sure if I'm as good at this area as I'd like to be and seeing the kind of success I would like to see when it comes to setting boundaries. And so today I want us to take a look at just some simple truth from God's word that can simplify what setting boundaries really looks like. To get us back to a place perhaps where it's a little bit easier for us to vocalize what we need to honor the needs of others, to build deeper connection through the practice of having healthy boundaries in our life, and to recognize really what God has to say about the issue so that we can build these practices, not just on good relational advice that we heard in a sermon or on a podcast, but deeply ingrained and embedded in the truth of God's word. So we're going to do this in just a few simple ways today. We are going to explore what the Bible has to say about why boundaries matter, then we're going to talk about what are the things, the real things that keep us from setting boundaries. And then we're going to finish our time this morning with some practical tools from God's word that we can start to apply in our everyday life so that we could win in this area and thrive relationally the way that God intended. So why do boundaries matter? What does God's word have to say about boundaries? Well, there's a number of reasons, and we're going to explore a few this morning. The first is very simple and yet quite profound. Boundaries keep us safe. Go figure. Proverbs 4.23 describes it this way. This is Proverbs, the, the wisdom book of the Bible. And within wisdom, or within Proverbs, within the wisdom that's given, the verse actually starts by saying, above all else, which is like, hey, pay attention. Like I'm saying a lot of good stuff, but above all else, make this the top priority. Guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. The New Living Translation says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Guard your heart. In other words, go ahead and put up a fence. Be intentional when it comes to your heart about who you let in and how often you let them in. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. It is worth noting that your heart is of great value. Have you ever stop and think about that? Your heart matters. You are of great value. You have great worth. That was determined on the cross when Jesus, the son of God, decided that your heart was worth dying for, that you were worth receiving salvation, that you were worth redemption, that you were worth eternal life. In fact, I would argue that based on the message of the gospel, there is nothing of greater worth then your heart, then your soul, then you, you're of great worth. I'm in a season of my life right now where I am surrounded by friends who are becoming parents, who've just become parents, or they're new parents, or they just have little kids around them, which is quite fascinating. I love seeing this. I'm taking good notes. It's fun to watch. Uh, and here's the thing that I recognize. It's, it's unanimous in every single one of these dynamics, every single person who is parenting now, one of my friends, they, they all deeply, deeply love and recognize the value of their children. They do. 
I mean, even the ones who said, you know what, I'm not going to be that kind of parent who just always posts about their babies and talks about their babies and all of that. I'm not going to do that. They have broken that vow every time because suddenly the child comes into the world and they are in love. They know the value of their child like nobody else does. And they understand that one of the roles that they play, one of the primary responsibilities they now have in life is to ensure that child's safety. They will do whatever they need to do to protect that child. They will make different choices. They will become different people. They they will sacrifice. They will give. They will think differently. They will plan differently. They will respond differently to protect the child. Friend, perhaps it's worth remembering in this conversation that you are God's child. We all are. He loves us. He knows our value better than anyone. And he is fiercely after protecting us. And in the dynamics that he's given us, he is our protector. And yet it is our responsibility to make choices that create a safe environment for our hearts. Like there's a dual responsibility he gives us as his children and our hearts are worth protecting. Which is why the Bible can say things like, the greatest command is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, Mark 12. It's this idea that you will give out of an overflow of how you treat your own heart. If you protect your heart, if you guard your heart, you have something of great value to give. Sometimes we get confused in our Christianity, and we believe that being a good Christian means being a doormat for everybody. Whatever people need, I'm there. Sign me up. I got to serve. I got to give. There is nothing I'll say no to because that's what I'm called to do as a good Christian. And yet if you start to read the gospels and study the way that Jesus lived and read scriptures like this, you understand that God never asks us to give what we don't have to give. We're supposed to give out of overflow. And when we protect our heart with healthy boundaries, then we have great things to give. Then we can serve from a place of abundance and not a place of deficit. Jesus didn't serve from a place of deficit. He served from his abundance. And as we continue to grow closer to Jesus and learn these principles and guard our hearts, then we have something great to give. We're not a doormat. We're in a powerful position to serve well because we guard our hearts. Boundaries keep us safe. Not only do they keep us safe, but they help us stay true to our limits because we do have them. Repeat after me. I can't do it all. Some of you are like, this is the worst self-help mantra I've ever heard in my life. Well, it's okay because we're not preaching self-help, we're preaching the gospel. One will motivate you, the other one will set you free. The very nature of the message of the gospel is that we can't save ourselves, we can't do it all. That's why we need a savior and he saves us. I can't do it all. You know, God actually designed us with limits. Some of you, this is very uncomfortable right now. You're like, I'm a hustler in New York City. This is not the message I came to today. Don't worry, just stick with me. I'm right there with you. But God designed us with limits. And he didn't actually see that as a weakness, by the way. He said what he made was good. In fact, God designed us with such limits that one of the commands is a boundary for us to follow because he knows our limits, called the Sabbath. Six days you work, the seventh day you rest so that you can be refreshed and refueled and renewed for the six days of work ahead. And the Bible is very clear. God is very clear in scripture. I didn't actually give that because I need your Sabbath. It's because you need one because of your limits. 
Now, if we neglect that boundary, if we ignore that boundary, if we dismiss that boundary, who does it really hurt? Not God, it actually hurts us because God designed us with limits in place. We just simply cannot give what we don't have to give. And boundaries helps us recognize our own limits. It's a humbling thing to do, but it's a deeply freeing thing to do. And if I could take this a step further, I would say that our society really praises and values high performance. We're kind of sent the message, do, do, do. And the more you achieve and the more you go and the more you're available and the more opportunities you say yes to, then the better off you're gonna be. That's what's gonna make you great. And we have to be careful as followers of Jesus that we don't just bow a knee to cultural norms, but we filter those norms and those messages through the lens of the kingdom of God at work within us and what it means to follow Jesus because Jesus has a different standard for success. It's not about doing everything. It's about abiding in him, being connected to him. Jesus said in the gospel of John, I am the vine, you are the branches. And if you abide in me, then you're gonna have fruit that lasts. But he didn't say you're gonna have all the fruit all the time ever. You abide in him, you do good works, but not all the works. You just do what you're meant to do, connected to him. There is a difference. Boundaries help us recognize our limits and stay true to them so that we can do the good works that God has called us to. We also have to recognize that boundaries help us, and the Bible's really clear on this, they help us pursue connection with wisdom. They do. Like not everybody gets the same entrance into our heart. Some of you are deeply concerned right now. You're like, I'm not sure, is this biblical? Is this Christian? I'm supposed to just love everybody equally all the time. You are supposed to love everybody. Love is something we give unconditionally, but access, intimacy, level of connection, that's something that is earned through trust and time. And the Bible talks about this. Proverbs 12, 26 says, the righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Jesus actually set boundaries. He did. If you read the gospels, you say, he's, I, I, I would dare to say, Jesus being the son of God, the absolute picture of how to live life well, did boundaries better than anyone who's ever walked the earth. He did. <laughs> if we really want an in-depth boundary lesson, let's just read the gospels and learn from Jesus. Jesus even had boundaries when it came to the kind of relationships that he had. So a lot of people had access to some, some, some of him, but not everybody spent the same kind of time with him. There was the crowd, the messages for all, then there were the followers, then there were the 12 disciples, and even amongst that, there were the three that he would spend some time with, Peter, James, and John, more than others. That wasn't him being exclusive, that was him giving intimacy and connection and access that matched what was wise. The same can be true for us. And as we start to, this would be a really great exercise to, to start to go, hmm, okay, well then who, 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 are, who are my crowd? <laughs> and who, who are the people that, that are like-minded followers? And then who are the people that are like the 12 that I'm doing life with and learning from? And then who are those three? And, and hear me, it's not about that specific number. It's just about the concept of who's earned these different levels of access. And when we have boundaries in place, we get to reassess every now and again. So if somebody is actually honoring all these boundaries and becoming a very trustworthy person, then we can open our heart even more. Say, come on in. Let's see about this next level of intimacy in my heart. And the opposite is also true. If somebody is violating boundaries that we've set in place and we've had the right conversations and nothing's changing, then it's worth going, maybe there's a different place for you to be that's not have as much access to the deep places of my heart and soul right? This helps us navigate relationships with wisdom. 
And finally, boundaries, and, and God's word makes this really clear too, boundaries actually give us language. They help us to know when we need to lovingly confront something in relationships. They do. For example, if you have set a boundary, and one of the boundaries in your heart and in your life is that you want to make sure that your feelings are validated. You don't make decisions based on your feelings, but in a relationship, in a friendship, in a marriage, even in a work environment when it's appropriate, you want to be able to say, this is how I'm feeling right now and be heard and then be able to make a good decision. But maybe there's a dynamic where every time you do that, the other person either dismisses it, ignores it, or even goes, you know what, that's stupid. Don't think that. Get over it. That's stupid. That's wrong, right? If there's something there, you set a boundary and they keep violating that boundary, you have a few options. But the one that's going to lead to success and the one that would lead to success for all of us would be to actually lovingly confront, (laughs) to have a conversation and say, oh, maybe you didn't actually know this is a boundary for me. Let's talk about this. Or maybe you do, but maybe we need to come back to this basic truth so that we can have connection instead of this disconnection and this resentment that is forming in the place where there's supposed to be unity. Now we have a tool to have the right conversations. But when we don't have boundaries in place, we just feel like something's wrong and we don't know what to say, so we just keep having the same conversation over and over again, or the same resentment or the same frustration, and we can't even place why we are as frustrated as we are. Yet here we, we discover that through boundaries, we actually now have tools to speak truth in love, Ephesians chapter 4, which we're going to talk a little bit more about in just a second. So clearly, we can look at Scripture, and we can look at experiences in our own life, and we can go, yeah, boundaries are good. I think most of us at this point are going, boundaries are good. If not, there's some more exploration to do in God's Word, and that's great, but for the most part, I don't think we need more convincing that boundaries are a good thing. So let's address the elephants in the room. Then why aren't we all doing them more? Boundaries are good. Why aren't they more of the norm? And maybe why are they more of the norm in some relationships or some dynamics than they are in others? Well, I'll speak from my own experience here. But I I actually really believe that the main reason that we don't always actually apply this kind of wisdom in our relationships is because we're afraid. I think fear has a way of sabotaging true connection. In fact, Scripture talks about this in 1 John chapter 4. It says there is no fear in love, meaning that fear and love are opposites. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. When fear is at the heart of decision-making in one way or another in our relationships, it will never lead to greater connection. It will never lead to greater love it will always lead to greater disconnection, no matter how hard we try. And the more and more that we understand God's love for us, and the more and more we try to lean into it and open our heart to receive it and let it change us and mold us, then we can start displacing fear in relationships with love, with love that can cause us to do the hard things sometimes, the tough things, to make the strong choices, and to build greater, longer-lasting, thriving relationships. And so I'm sure there's a number of fears that come into play when we start to apply boundaries in our lives, but I want to mention just three that I think are pretty common for all of us. I think the first fear that keeps us from really operating in healthy boundaries is the the fear, I'm afraid, that it's going to cause friction in the relationship. Have you ever thought that? Like, if, if I bring this up, if I set this boundary, it's just going to rock the boat. 
It's just not worth it. I don't want to get another fight. I don't have this conversation. I don't want to be seen as a person who's, who's high maintenance. I'm just, it's, it's fine. Now, it's funny because we do this a lot in life with things that aren't even that serious. We do this all the time. Uh, this is a common reaction. I don't, again, when we were kids, we didn't do this, but somehow we learned some lessons, maybe some wrong lessons, and we start filtering so much that we're not even honest in relationships the way that we could do that, that, that bring health. Uh, when I was in high school, I started moving around quite a bit with my family, and I went to three different high schools. But the third high school, I was there for half of my junior year and my senior year, was in Ashland, Oregon. And when I was there going to Ashland High, the first week of school, I met a guy. He, was, he ended up becoming a really great friend of mine. His name was Jackson. And at the time, I still, actually I said at the time, I'm still a huge Motown fan. And so immediately I thought of the Jackson 5. That was my reference point. And so I said to him, Jackson 5, that's amazing. And he didn't know who the Jackson 5 was. I was like, what? You were like Tito. And he said, who is Tito? I was like, Tito Jackson. He's amazing. It's a compliment. And so from that day on, I started calling him Tito. And everybody in our friendship circle called him Tito. So for a year and a half, his name at school was Tito. And it wasn't until the last week of school when we were hanging out before graduation and we're having a conversation and somebody said, hey, Tito. And he kind of mumbled his breath. Oh, I hate that. And I said, what? He's like, oh, yeah, I just, I really don't like Tito. Like, my name's Jackson. And I said, why didn't you say something? We've been calling you by a name, the wrong name, for a year and a half thinking you liked it. He's like, I just didn't want it. It's not that big of a deal. I mean, it's crazy that somebody be willing to go by a different name for the rest of their high school existence because they didn't want to rock the boat. But we do this. We do this. Some of you are going, I would never do that. But we do little versions of it, don't we? Because we all have some sort of section in our closet or under our bed or a box that we keep gifts that people give us, family members, that we hate. And they're supposed to be for the house. But we don't want to see it every day because it's so ugly or hideous. But they put so much work into it. They loved it. We opened it on Christmas. We're like, oh, yay. It's, they're like, don't you love it? It's great. Yay. I've always wanted a hand towel with a sunflower the size of my face on it. No, whatever it is. And so we just hide it. But then when they come over and visit, what do we do? We pull them out. We put them up. We put them in the spaces. So you go, oh, you like it? Yeah, I love it. No, what are we doing? We don't want to rock the boat. Which is funny, I guess, when we're talking about, you know, those moments. But what about key relationships? then it gets detrimental. Because when I look to the Gospels and I look to the life of Jesus, I don't see somebody who is afraid to rock the boat. He had no problem with confrontation. He always did it in love, which is why it was so successful. But he had no problem with confrontation. In fact, to his closest people, Peter, one time he called him Satan. He did. Read it. Another time he walked into a temple that was filled with corruption and hypocrisy. And what did he do? He came in with a whip and he drove out the sellers. And what did he say to the Pharisees who were causing a gap between people being able to really connect with God out of all their religiosity? He called them, you brood of vipers, you whitewashed tombs. He had no problem with confrontation. When we're able to get over our fear of conflict and begin to understand that part of being a Christian is speaking truth and doing it in love, where the motive is connection, the motive is reconciliation, the motive is to actually love, then there's a maturity process that takes place, both in our relationships and in our own character development and in our faith. In fact, the Bible talks about this. Ephesians 4.15 says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature, get that word, the mature body of him, that's Jesus, who is the head, that is Christ. 
Here's another reason I think sometimes that we don't actually set boundaries. Another fear is that we're afraid that we'll lose the relationship. Or we're afraid that that person will distance themselves from us. This is a really hard one. This one is harder for me. I think this is actually the, the biggest fear that I've always had with setting boundaries in one way or another. And sometimes that, that kind of looks different. It might not always be I'll lose the relationship, but I'll lose the opportunity at work. Or that person won't see me as, as the go-getter that I want to be. Or that that person is going to just treat me differently from now on if I, if I set this boundary. Or it's just not going to be the same dynamic. It doesn't always have to mean complete loss of relationship. But for me, this fear really came into play. And it's actually deeply part of my story. Um, my father and I had a really rough relationship during my teenage years. My dad was an alcoholic for the first 10 years of my life. And, um, and even after he stopped drinking, there was a lot of dynamics in the home. And he took out a lot of that on my mom. And that was its own dynamic that I watched growing up. But during my teen years, I started to say, no, this is not okay. You can't treat people this way. You can't be this angry. You can't be this controlling. And I was a teenager. And so I'm sure I didn't always say it as kindly and in love, right? And after a few heated arguments with my father, my father didn't really know what to do. I didn't really know what to do. And he just said, you know what, I'm done. And for a year and a half, we lived in the same home in my high school years, but we didn't speak to each other. So I saw him all the time, but I had no access to him. Uh, The only conversations were, can you pass the salt? You know, can you pass the pepper? And that was it. And it was very clear to both me and him that that was a decision because we couldn't get on the same page. And so I always associated that time in my life. Now, since I should say that God has completely repaired our relationship. I love my father. It's a joy of my life, my relationship with my whole family. God has done a miracle work, and that is a different message for a different day. But I want to encourage you, God does work miracles in relationships. And those of you who are praying for those kind of restorations, I don't know when or how it will happen, but I do know that God is good, and he's faithful to heal the brokenhearted and to restore what is broken in relationships. So keep believing for that. Keep praying for that because God is a miracle-working God. But after I had that experience with my dad, I always associated setting boundaries and saying this is not okay with the possibility of losing someone. And that someone, by the way, for me was probably one of the most dearest relationships of my life. So it was very scary for me. And I found myself going into certain friendships or going into certain work environments and, and just always saying yes. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm okay. Don't worry. Don't worry. I'll take care of me because if I really let you know what's going on or what I need, I might lose you. Here's how I overcame that. I wish I could say it was, I went to this one seminar, sign up today, it'll be great. (laughs) Or one person prayed for me and it was never an issue again. That didn't happen for me, though I do believe in the power of prayer. What happened to me was that over time, I started to allow the Spirit of God to show me that that fear existed and to replace that fear with the truth that he is a God who does not leave, that he will never leave me nor forsake me, and that he's a perfect heavenly father. And that maybe I've had some experiences in life where rejection is a real possibility, but that will never be a possibility with God. There will never be a day that I'm so honest with him that he says, you know what, forget it. We need a break from each other. In fact, he knows me better than I know myself. And he will always know me better than I know myself. And I can always bank on his love. This is where I believe that God's love and a revelation of God's love is actually what sets us up to overcome these deep fears in our life. And so for those of you where that's real in your life right now, hey, step one is that you're aware that that fear is calling the shots. And step two, which could be a journey, 
is to open your heart day in and day out to the revelation and to the deep understanding that God wants to show you that he is not like man, he will not leave you. Because when you know that God is always with you, then you can have the tough conversations. Then you can set the boundaries. Then you can change dynamics and relationships. And yes, some people not might, not might want to sign up for that, and that's okay. But the ones who do are the ones that are going to lead to life-giving, life-giving relationships that you need to thrive in your life, right? That's a real fear. Here's the third fear. I'm afraid I'll hurt them. Ah, I don't want to hurt their feelings. I'm afraid I'll disappoint them. I don't want to hurt them. We have this idea that like hurt is a bad thing. But we don't apply this to other areas of our life. When I go to the gym, sometimes, and I lift weights, and the next day I feel sore, I don't go, that harmed me. I should never go back to the gym again. I understand that this hurt is actually good for me, <laughs> right? If I tried to lift 400 pounds, then that would be harmful, and I should not do that. I understand the difference between hurt and harm, and I know that some pain is actually really good for me in the long haul. In fact, it's, it's key for my health. This is true when it comes to our relationships as well. I mean, look at the way that friendship is described in Proverbs 27. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. That sounds lovely, doesn't it? But the Passion Translation gives more language to it of how actually painful it is. It takes a grinding wheel to sharpen a blade, and so one person sharpens the character of another. That means there's going to be some hurt involved sometimes. You know, you know the real friend who tells you when you have something in your teeth? That's a real friend. Who tells you when your zipper's down? That's a real friend, right? Have you ever interacted with tons of people that you would call friend, and then at the end of the day, somebody says to you, man, you have right here. It's like been here the whole time. And you're like, they were not my real friends, right? You are my real friend. We know this. We need the kind of friends who are willing to speak the truth, who are willing to say, here's a boundary. Let's talk about how I don't necessarily feel like that's being honored right now because that actually deepens our character, doesn't it? It makes us more like Christ in the process and vice versa. We, we need to be able to associate hurt as a natural part of friendship, a part of great relationships, <laughs> It's part of the friction that makes us better and dif differentiate the difference, really, between hurt and harm. So we've talked about the fears that hold us back. We've talked about why boundaries are really great, but, but let's, let's make sure that we land the plane with something that is very practical for us. So how do, how do we begin? What are some really practical things that we could be doing beyond today that are going to help us not just be aware of where fears come in the shots, but to do something different? to become more like Christ in the way that we interact with each other, to set healthy boundaries, to honor boundaries in the lives of other people. Well, I just have a few quick thoughts here. I also want to recommend listening to a message that Danny Best actually taught, your very own Danny Best. He taught this last fall on boundaries because it was excellent. It was excellent, and he provides a lot of practical tools for you. So make sure to get a listen. I'm sure that's available somewhere, and if it's not, we will make it available. Maybe it's available on our website right now, but if it's not for some reason, then please talk to us because we will get it to you. But here's, here's just a few very quickly. One of the ways that we can practically set and keep healthy boundaries is to know ourselves. <laughs> we got to know what we need. you got to know what boundaries you actually need in life. And that's a difficult thing sometimes. It really is. Because I, I know for me, when, I'll, I'll say this, in, 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 in my marriage to Ben, Ben is actually very good at this. When we're, when we're dialoguing, when the intense dialogue, not a fight, an intense conversation is happening, and he might say sometimes to me, what do you need? I realized with that question, sometimes I didn't have an answer. Have you been there? I was like, I just want to fight. Don't ask me, you know? And then I'd take a step and be like, actually, don't know. And that's part of the problem right now, right? 
This is why God has put certain rhythms for a Christian in place. He really has. This is why prayer beyond Sundays really matters because you get to open your heart before God and allow the Spirit of God to speak to you through prayer and you become aware of what you need when you pray. This is why reading God's word is so vital outside of church because when you open the word and you read it and you allow the Spirit of God to speak to you, James says that the Bible is like a mirror and it reveals who you are and who you were intended to be and what God created for you for and how you're meant to live. You get to understand your needs in the word of God. These rhythms are in place so that we can know ourselves, so that we can set healthy boundaries. If we don't, I feel like this is the danger. The only comparison I could make, which is such a New York one, is, and maybe it's because I live in an area of Manhattan that has a lot of tourists during different seasons. You can always recognize the tourists during tourist time, can't you? Um, they do things a little bit differently, and most of it is annoying for us to be real. Like, we love them, we're glad you're here, but for us who are trying to go to work, it's a little bit of an inconvenience, you know? Welcome to New York. But this is kind of our idea. It's stuff like, like, tourists don't walk, like, too long tops. They're like the whole crew takes up the, like, the yellow brick road or something, you know, on Broadway. It's like, move, please, you know? And, and they, they're a little slower, and, and, and sometimes they're, they're looking around, you can tell, because they're like, Wait, did we, are we on the right street? Are we in the right direction? Does, can somebody help us, you know? And for the rest of us, we're kind of like, okay, I get it. You're new here. <laughs> you don't understand all the dynamics, but either ask for help or move out of the way. Like that tends to be the New York mentality, doesn't it? But I think if we don't actually know our own needs and relationships, we can kind of cause that same sort of frustration and inconvenience for the relationship itself. Because here we are, somebody's ready to go. They're ready to be united. They're ready to become more like Christ. They're ready. Come on, let's do some great things together. Let's really connect. And here we are going, I don't, I don't know. I don't know myself. I don't know what I'm doing, you know, right? But when we know, when we're able to identify what we really need, then we're able to vocalize it and begin to set boundaries in place that are going to help us thrive. And the people that love us know how to love us well, right? And we also have to learn how to, and this is another really practical thing along with that, is take responsibility for ourselves. Oh, this is where we like, we liked the first part because we got to know ourselves. It's like a personality quiz. But now I have to take responsibility. This is part of setting healthy boundaries is we take responsibility for what's ours. And we communicate, this is what I'm going to own. And then this is my responsibility to make clear this boundary to you. It's, it's, it's about taking responsibility. Dr. Henry Cloud says this. It's like one of those, oh, hurt me so good things. You get what you tolerate. You get what you tolerate. Now, I do want to say that there are exceptions there are places where there's a level of abuse or there's trauma and there really was no choice. You were forced into certain things. I do, I do want to give room for that. Obviously, you didn't get that because you tolerated that. That was an injustice done to you. But for the most part in our lives as adults, when it comes to our relationships, it's worth taking a step back and going, you know what? I have what I am accepting right now. I have what I'm tolerating. I have I have what I have going on in these different relationships is a reflection of the kind of boundaries that I'm setting in my life. So where can I set healthier boundaries? Where can I communicate those boundaries? And where can I look for ways to honor the boundaries of others that maybe I'm not noticing right now? We get to take responsibility. Another way that we get to practically apply setting boundaries, I just have a couple more, is to not tell people what they should do, but tell people what you're going to do. Telling people what they should do in a relationship is just controlling. <laughs> but telling people what you're going to do is actually operating in one of the fruits of the Spirit, self-control. The Spirit of God gives us an ability to practice self-control. To say, you know what, this is what I'm going to take responsibility for, and this is the choice that I'm making. A few years ago, I was in a, a friendship, and 
I love this person dearly. And it was a very close friendship in my life. And um, there were some things that they were doing, honestly, that just lacked, it, it violated boundaries and lacked a lot of integrity um, or some integrity, not trying to point fingers because I got my blind spots too, but that was what was happening at that point in the friendship. And I remember sitting down with the friend and talking to them about this. And there was no acknowledgement of, I'm sorry, no ownership, no man, okay, great. I mean, they said, yeah, I did it, but no apology. And then they said, um, so, but we're good now, right? And I remember having this moment where part of me was like, I guess, that's so weird to say. But the other part of me was like, you know what, I need to take responsibility here. I'm a powerful person and I have the ability to choose. And I get to tell this person what I'm going to do right now. And so it was a very simple conversation, but a very liberating one for me and a lesson learned because I simply said in that conversation, you know, I will always love you. I will always have your back. That will never change. But what I need in friendship is honesty. And if you can commit to that, then great. Let's earn that trust. If not, that's okay. I understand. And I still love you. But yeah, the dynamics will be different. And that person was, go figure, honest enough in that moment to say, you know what, I don't think I'm there yet. And I said, okay, I love you. And the dynamic did change in the friendship. Still love them, still there for them, still in connection, but at a different level now. And I think that's one of those moments for me that was an aha moment, a light bulb moment for me to go, you know what? I don't actually get to tell people what they're going to do, but I can say this is what I'm going to do. This is the choice that I'm making. This is one way that we can practice healthy boundaries. Here's a couple others. When someone asks something of you, notice what's going on inside you. Danny, Danny's the one who told me this one, and I think this is a really good one. Yeah, have you ever had this moment where you're like, I don't know why I'm so irritated all the time at work, but I am. That team member sends an email, and you're like, before you even check it. You know what I mean? But I wonder if we've actually communicated boundaries, and maybe that person is asking you to do work that really is something that they should be doing, and it's okay to cover every now and again, but now it's become a normal pattern. You can ask yourself, okay, wait, wait a minute. Is this actually my job, or is it their job? And do I need to clarify some things? Do, it, do I need to have a conversation here? But notice what's happening to you in those moments. We can learn the phrase, and this is a really powerful one, when we're talking to people and we feel like boundaries are being hit right now. What are you going to do about this? What? Go figure. Instead of, I'll take it, I'll take it. I'll fix your problems, I'll fix your emotions, I'll fix you. No, instead we realize Jesus is the only savior of the world. And so here I am, I'm going to listen, I'm going to support, and then say, what are you going to do about it? And how can I support you in that? Very different conversations, but it allows people to connect with God for what they need, to find what they themselves are responsible for, and for you to stay true to guarding your heart and setting boundaries. And here's the last one. Cultivate your ability to say no so you can say the right yes. It was an aha moment for me. I'm talking about a lot of these aha moments, but it was an aha moment for me just even a couple years ago when it came to certain things I was saying yes to. I started to really understand that every time I said yes to something, I was saying no to something else. That's a powerful understanding. So there's always something at stake, and that's okay, but you got to decide. If I'm saying yes to this behavior, I'm saying yes to this opportunity, I'm saying yes to this, this dynamic, then I'm saying no to potentially something else. Is, am I saying the right yeses? And Anne Lamont says this, no is a complete sentence. Sometimes you don't have to explain it. It's just, no, thank you. That's so weird for some of us, because we're like, no, 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 I can't, but here's why. I'm really a good person, trust me. I wish I could. It's just I have this going on, and this going on, and this going on, and I promise I read my Bible every day. I promise I hear from God. I'm trying to do the right thing. Do you understand? Will you forgive me? No. No is a complete sentence. Just be able to say, no, I'm sorry, I can't do that. Or not even say sorry, just no, no, thank you. 
I'll try to next time. I'll help you out how I can. These things are powerful. Setting boundaries, for some of us, it might be a new concept. And it was, it was definitely for me in my early adulthood. And it's still something I'm exercising and maturing in. I don't think we ever get to a place where we're like, boundary setter, A plus, I'm the master. We lean into the word of God, we apply God's word, and we continue to grow. For some of us, we might be applying boundaries. This isn't a new conversation, but in all honesty, you'd say, you know what, there is some areas where fear is keeping me from maintaining the boundaries that I could or honoring the boundaries of others, right? Well, I want us to close our eyes for a second. Will you close your eyes with me? And I want us just to imagine what our relationships could look like as we more and more apply truth from God's word today. What would your work dynamic look like if there were boundaries set? What would your team dynamic look like? What could you bring to the table? What could you do that maybe you're not able to do right now? When you think about some of you who are married, think about your marriage. What would it be if you could just honestly and openly communicate around boundary setting? Would love and honor fill those spaces right now of frustration and resentment and confusion? Imagine some of you who are single right now, what your dating relationships would look like. Imagine who you wouldn't be dating anymore. Bye, right? Imagine who you would be choosing to open your heart to and how they would treat you and how you would show up for them as well. Parents in this room, I want you to imagine for a second what it would look like for your kids to know this and to know this because you taught them and you modeled it in your home. What, what kind of jump start they would have when it comes to healthy dynamics in life. And maybe some of the things you had to learn the hard way, they wouldn't necessarily have to learn that way because you're choosing healthy boundaries now and you're setting a new tone for them and a new inheritance in this area of your life. What would healthy boundaries look like in your friendships where you could know that the people you call dear friends are the people who are gonna be there for you, who honor you, who, who draw the best in you and that you are doing the same. This is possible, friends, when we apply God's word. And my prayer and my hope today is that we take those steps forward to make this not just a message with good information, but a message that is divine revelation that transforms our most dear relationships because God wants to see us thrive in community. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your word and I thank you for this day. And I pray, oh God, that we would apply your word with wisdom and truth, that you'd speak to us, oh God, and show us where we can grow and that we look to you, Jesus, as the ultimate example. That you would teach us boundaries, you would teach us wisdom. That it would equal success in our relationships. That we would become more like you in the process, Jesus. And that we would find all that we need in you to not just survive relationally, but to truly, truly thrive. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.